Today's show is brought to you by the Human Resource Executive Magazine's HR Technology Conference and Exposition, held October 1st to 4th at the Venetian in Las Vegas. Join me and thousands of your colleagues at the world's largest exhibition of HR technology. Act now using the code HREX and you can receive a $300 discount on your ticket. Thanks, we'll see you there. And by the way, don't miss the Women in Technology segment. Good morning and welcome to HR Examiner's Executive Conversations. Today we're going to be talking with Arthur Matuszewski, um, who is the head of talent acquisition at Better Mortgage. Arthur, I've been talking to for six months or so now, and he is um, uh, the smartest thinker about recruiting strategy that I've run across. And so, so with that, Arthur, why don't you take a moment and introduce yourself? Some bold uh, introduction, John. Thank you. I appreciate the opportunity to chat today. I'm originally um, coming from uh, Bridgewater, uh, where I spent uh, the better part of four years figuring out how to um, find folks that were successful in a uniquely transparent and a uniquely meritocratic environment. I spent a lot of time building out predictive modeling and predictive assessments. Following that, worked uh, for a number of years in innovation strategy, and so helping uh, big organizations like Samsung or Coca-Cola uh, become more creative. So thinking through all the people structure inherent in that. And I was fortunate to spend the last number of years with Wayfair, helping them grow from 7,000 to 14,000. Overall, um, finding the 10,000 was a very different challenge than finding uh, the one in 10,000. And here at Better, I'm thrilled to have the unique opportunity to do both, where we're looking for folks um, with a mix of values, abilities, and skills that uh, match our period of hypergrowth, along with uh, the scale needed to grow our market share and continue the trajectory that we've been fortunate to be on. So, so how did you? Let's let's start at the beginning. How did you end up at Bridgewater, and what did you learn there? I mean, Bridgewater is famous for being. Mm, Meritocratic is an interesting way of saying merciless, um, um, but but a very tough environment, very tough performance-oriented environment. Uh, how'd you Definitely. end up there, and what'd you learn? Sure. Um, so uh, in uh, university, I floated around the humanities. I was always fascinated by understanding why people and institutions come to value the things that they do. So I studied social philosophy, I uh, studied policy, studied organizational psychology, um, did a mix of things uh, prior, but finding Bridgewater uh, originally came through an article in New York Magazine. I believe the description uh, was if you took Ayn Rand, uh, mixed uh, her with Deepak Chopra and put it on a line of fortune cookies, you would have the principles. And to me, that sounded like, if nothing else, a singular and unique experience. Found my way uh, to Bridgewater while they were still figuring out their recruiting process in the wake of all this press. And they scaled from being a smaller boutique pre the financial crisis uh, to right on the heels of it being the world's largest hedge fund. The experience at Bridgewater uh, fundamentally was one where we knew what success looked like in our environment because the business model uh, had been perfected over the course of the fund's history. And the core objective was how do you create an environment where you are less likely to make bad decisions 
um, where the margins um, spoke for themselves and where the um, core of the operations of the company had already been so systematized and commoditized. The objective was finding folks that were willing to debate to the very end to be able to preserve the high standards and the excellence um, that was required to consistently outperform in the markets. The, that's, uh, challenge that, that's interesting. That Let me ask you a question. Sorry, go on. Yeah. I, was just, I was just in a conversation earlier today about whether or not all of the improvement that people have invested their money in in business has actually resulted in making better business decisions. Um, and and so, so I'm curious about how you told if you were making better business decisions. Is that simply a question of achieving or exceeding stated goals, or is there something more to making a good business decision than numbers? Sure. I think the goals and the metrics are the baseline. Um, I think for us, um, the cultural fit and um, the ability to create an environment um, where uh, you were um, consistently uh, you know, improving whatever better meant. There was no uh, endless onslaught of questions around uh, whether or not you know, we were on the right track or the wrong track. I think we were um, in a unique environment where you know, one, uh, one exceptional analyst um, coming in uh, either out of undergrad or out of B school could, um, you know, rise up through the ranks and uh, become our CIO. Um, and that would return manifold in terms of the metrics and the financial returns. Um, and so we were very optimized for finding that one individual, much more so than we were trying to optimize for, um, you know, people's tenure, um, people's, uh, you know, day-to-day -day satisfaction or people's, um, uh, you know, basic, uh, you know, growth, any short-term period, we were invested in the long-term. And so because of that, we operated more like an asset manager, like a think tank than a traditional asset manager. So, so to, to, to run this to its conclusion there, you were looking for the one home run and everything was focused on getting that one home run. You went to Wayfair, which was growing and you shifted to how can you get a whole bunch of people um, which means working with averages rather than um, home runs. And so Correct. what is, what's going on at your current company? What, what's the challenge there? Sure. So we're in a unique place where we're trying to disrupt an industry um, that has become uh, largely stagnant. Um, the broader mortgage space is the embodiment of what a lot of folks uh, have come to call the filing cabinet businesses. Um, it's burdened by regulation, it's burdened by uh, process, and the cost of manufacturing loans has increased exponentially, and most of that cost has unfortunately been borne by consumers. In a low-rate environment, and particularly a prolonged rate environment, uh, we're very um, susceptible to uh, large surges in our need to grow our capacity. Um, we've been tremendously oversubscribed in terms of demand for our product, which is a fortunate business position to be in, uh, but from a human capital perspective, exposes us to all the difficulties with um, growing um, with both a high caliber of talent in the volume required to meet business demand and to do so quickly and ideally sustainably. Um, the pitch um, to potential employees has to be something more than, uh, you know, the business is growing gangbusters now. Um, we have to be able to communicate uh, 
complete business plan that um, will limit some of the pro-cyclical risk for us. And we also need to be able to create an environment of assessment um, where you can be clear on where you stand and where your trajectory goes as the, continue can, as the company continues to expand. So most, most recruiting operations don't have to directly confront the fact that the business itself is hypercyclical. Um, and I, I imagine because, because of what caused the last recession, I imagine that everybody who comes to work in the mortgage industry is either aware before they get there or aware soon after they get there that, that the next time the, the cycle fails, um, it's going to be time to hunt for another job. Um, how do you recruit with that kind of environment? Sure. Um, I think transparency and being forthright is key. Um, fundamentally, in terms of our employer value prop, we're um, communicating um, as much about uh, the mortgage process as we are about how we're uniquely positioned within that. I think um, one of the um, things that 2008 exposed is that um, doing things just for style and you know issuing basis points or showing uh, growth up and to the right is not enough um, as a society. And so one of the things that we pride ourselves on is through the process, uh, providing um, the same sort of financial education that we provide to our borrowers um, so that when candidates come in, um, we're giving them a grounded, realistic view of how the mortgage industry works and more broadly, how homeownership in America has changed from a process that um, was previously uh, led primarily by banks to one that is now uh, led by um, other smaller home loan originators and where we as the digital vanguard are trying to replicate a lot of the safeguards um, that the Consumer Financial Protection Bureau and otherwise have put in place. It's a lot of context and that's a lot of um, pre-sell that we aim to provide candidates. And then fundamentally it's aligning candidates on our mission, which is not just to tear down an old and archaic industry, which I think is some of the refrain you hear from a lot of um, tech disruptors, um, but it's really to build a new industry that um, is more consumer oriented and doesn't have the same commission structure, the same fees, the same uh, various exchanges that happen uh, before uh, the money actually um, materializes in the form of a place for families to have a home. That's interesting. That's interesting. So it sounds like you've bought into that vision. Um, um, now, I, I assume that when you got there, this is a this is a digital company. I assume financed uh, with venture capital. Yes. Correct. Yes. Right. And so 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 a good hiring strategy is not part of the toolkit that you get when you get a bucket of venture money. So, so I assume that, that when you got there, um, um, it, you got there because you demonstrated that you knew how to do some things. What's the process of taking what you found and moving it to where you want to go look like? Sure. That's a great, um, great question. I agree. I think, um, you know, uh, sometimes uh, in Silicon Valley and in the broader um, tech ecosystem, um, you see a lot of these examples of companies that, um, you know, rush to um, grab market share by hook or by crook. 
Um, one of the things that I appreciate in meeting with the team and that I'm hoping to bring to our recruiting strategy here um, is a key alignment with the operating model and the financials. I think one of the um, challenges you find is that for a lot of companies, um, recruiting and HR broadly can sometimes be seen purely as you know back office cost center. And I think my uh, background has lent itself towards looking at talent acquisition as growth strategy for the company. So in the same way that you can model out the um, potential incremental value that a go-to-market hire could provide for a business, um, you could also model out the opportunity cost of not having people in the roles or of having the wrong people in roles relative to morale, relative to performance, uh, relative to whatever KPIs you deem successful. And so in the short time I've been here, the opportunity to go in depth in the operating model and begin putting um, dollars and cents to the recruiting performance and uh, expanding that north of the pipeline has helped make the business case for building a quality recruiting function more self-evident, as well as the business case for continuing to invest in better ways to discover people, to attract people, to engage people, and to assess people. Um, I think one of the challenges with a lot of the HR tech ecosystem is that there's a lot of solutions in search of problems, but the core problem that's on the mind of executives, board members, or venture capital investors is how do I know whether or not we're on the right track? And here, um, what I'm hoping for is to create an ecosystem where we can have those metrics in real time, and particularly given the dynamism of the industry that we're playing in, uh, be able to adjust those levers uh, depending on what makes most financial sense for the business. Sounds like, I mean, in order to do some of the things that you just described, you're doing yeoman's work inside of the rest of HR as well, right? Because to, to do what you described, you're, you're talking about the granular elements of good workforce planning, um, which requires that you know what you're after and what it takes to get it and um, what the likelihood of success is. And so I assume that you have this um, growing wall of metrics that you pay attention to uh, as you are um, uh, architecting a way of doing talent acquisition that's going to have a broader impact on the company than, than it might look like at first. Is that a reasonable thing to ask you? Totally. Yeah. I think um, having, you know, metrics is key. And I think the metrics journey for um, a lot of um, organizations, almost regardless of where you are, starts out with first getting the data, um, getting the data to a place where it has integrity and where um, you believe that the things that you're experiencing are the things that you're seeing. I think from there, you can begin to set expectations. And so the second stage of the data journey is talking about where you would like to be and starting to set baselines based on historical performance and expected performance depending on continued investment. And then ultimately in the third stage, getting to insights. And so beginning to probe that delta between reporting and expectations to actually start to come up with things that might seem uh, uncommon or unexpected, um, but ultimately, which will um, be the governors to a, um, in the Bridgewater parlance, a continually evolving machine. I think a lot of the input and output equation um, is something that is still being debated and continued upon. Um, I think others um, before me, such as Rob McIntosh and otherwise, have done a good job of articulating that you know recruiting metrics are never just 
the burden of recruiting. They are fundamentally the burden of the business. And so understanding the business metrics and how they um, flow backwards into the recruiting metrics is critical. And I think that's unfortunately a gap that a lot of organizations struggle with, whether it's for resources or capabilities or general um, belief that you know, these are metrics that you can generate and that are critical to the continued growth of a business. So you, you, you think about the talent acquisition problem much more like an engineer than like a um, human resources person. So, so I got two questions there. Is, is would you would you agree that that's a fair characterization? And and B, does that cause you trouble? Yeah, I think there's definitely um, uh, you know uh, changing the guard, if you will, um, in terms of how folks are approaching the talent acquisition and the uh, human resources space more broadly. I think as um, you see us. Uh, continue in a prolonged unemployment environment as you see um, continued increases in market liquidity, particularly for key roles, whether they're data scientists or warehouse workers. Um, this is becoming a matter of um, education, uh, a matter of how you tie um, evaluation systems in early childhood to um, collegiate education to what's expected in the workforce. Um, and uh, you know whether it's an engineering mindset or a commercial mindset, I think the expectation is that as those drivers continue to uh, increase the competition and increase um, the scarcity of talent required today to do things um, that will look very different tomorrow, um, you need to start threading the needle um, more discreetly. I think historically there was a lot more of a wink and a nod to the idea that you know um, personal management or be became human capital, became people, became talent, regardless of what you call it. Um, it is now at the table with the CFO and with the CEO, and they ultimately understand that uh, their company will be made or lost by the virtue of 80% of uh, most growth stage companies spend. Uh, if it's in people, then you need to start seeing yourselves more as portfolio managers, uh, figuring out whether you need to buy, hold, or trade the talent that you have to get to where you're trying to go. And I think it's more likely that um, that'll be what the world like, looks like in the future. Um, and so I'm grateful for the experiences I've had to be able to apply them, but it's definitely not the conversation that um, uh, is easy to come by. And so finding that alignment of human capital team and executive team that believes that human capital is on par with financial capital is a critical part of the equation of actually accelerating the expectations for the human capital function broadly. So I hear you, but, but I wonder if, if it's really the case that that's the future. Um, it might be the future for the universe of, um, companies that behave like banks are controlled by banks. Mm -hmm. um, you know, so so anything in the Fortune 2500 or any venture-backed mm -hmm. thing might adopt the kind of viewpoint that you're taking. But the vast majority of companies exist in small communities where the question isn't um, an engineering problem. That's That's something that you can do in an urban environment where there are relatively infinite resources if you have enough wallet. Um, and it's different if you are in Omaha where there's a, it's, it's an island 
two hours in any direction away from anything else. And so, so the major competition is within the market for the existing talent, and it isn't finding the best. It's um, what can you arbitrage inside of the setting. So, so I wonder, I wonder how the future gets into those sorts of places where where it's not about uh, bank level metrics, mm-hmm. but it's about it's about optimal integration of the company in the community. It's a good, it's a good point, John. I think ultimately um, you start seeing it um, at the margins. You know, you see it in um, companies uh, like HubSpot or companies that are bringing sort of the tools of these growth, you know, Fortune 2500 companies to uh, smaller scale businesses. Um, you see it in, you know, um, even if you go uh, an hour or two hours outside of any major city, you see it in the communities that are struggling to find enough hospitality workers, enough uh, workers to support the service economy. Um, and I think for a lot of um even uh, smaller employers, um, the challenge um, is the same in a world where there frankly is more data. Um, you still have the mom and pop shop owners looking their uh, potential employees up on social. Uh, you have them posting on Craigslist um, more than just putting up the sign in the window. Um, I think increased uh, competition uh, for jobs will Continue. Um, hopefully, at, um, other sectors in the market, particularly as you see uh, mobility rates decrease. Um, I think of um, you know the drivers of social equity as education and credit, um, and you see this um, refrain constantly: where you know, as a nation, are we falling behind? Are we preparing um, our people for the workforce? And I think to really deal with the social equity problems at a community level, um, I think it'll take more time for. Uh, the market cycles to catch up, but I think you will see um, uh, more resources and more tools devoted towards um, increasing the distribution of talent. That's, that's that's a great answer, but you know, part of what you said is that now, 25 years later, the small businesses and little communities are starting to use the internet for recruiting. So, so, um, um, yeah, yeah, it may be it may be that this is a metrics-driven world 25 years from now, but 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 um, um, I, I wonder. So so you're in a position because you're you, because you're you're coming to this place fresh, and they've got you in. You're the you're the the, the hot talent. Um, you must be just bombarded with offers to use various kinds of AI in your work. How do you make sense out of that? Sure. I think uh, definitely true. Um, I think the proliferation, particularly in the U.S., of open source web data has made, um, quote, unquote, AI technology um, more commonplace. I think finding, um, you know, the balance between uh, humans and AI um, is uh, the challenge. Um, I think there are things that automation is excellent at, which is distilling uh, patterns from large, uh, somewhat disparate data sets. It's great at um, taking remedial, uh, repeatable tasks and putting them into a process workflow um, where you're clicking buttons instead of uh, shuffling calendar invites around. Within recruiting specifically, that usually looks like discovering candidates, sending messaging, and scheduling. 
I think once you get into assessment and a lot of these predictive models around best fit and you know likelihood to respond and all that, um, it's not necessarily truly AI. It's basically uh, statistical referencing. And one of the I think challenges within with this um, space is that the uh, solutions that are being sold um, are ahead of where the technology currently is. I think there is um, an opportunity to build this ideal fusion of what humans are good at, which is um, not just um, finding the patterns, but in um, intuiting how to structure the data to make finding those patterns easier and connecting with candidates um, to communicate the value prop and provide more education than uh, purely um, you know, pre-recorded pitch or a templated email. And I think um, what we're going to continue to see is this um, pushback where um, we need to um, be cautiously optimistic about what technology can bring, um, but not expect it to solve all of the problems uh, from day one, um, because it always comes down to integration and um, ultimately defining what the company needs right now and what the company is looking for tomorrow. And I think most companies aren't at the place of doing that well. And so by nature, all of these tools that are trying to do that will, um, I think, more likely fail than uh, succeed unless they're able to bring their clients along and uh, upskill um, the thinking around talent. Okay, so so are the risks of uh, working with how do you describe it? You said you said the the solutions that are being sold are being sold ahead of the market, meaning that that the hype and the reality don't quite um, uh, intersect perfectly. And and I'm going to assume that that's that's because in the current VC model the customer has to learn at the same time that the supplier has to learn. Um, what, what are the risks, what are the risks of, of installing this stuff in this state? What, what, what should somebody be aware of? Sure. Um, I think ultimately, um, you know, the lowest bound of risk is that you spend a lot of money and you spend a lot of time and you don't quite get the outcome you're looking for. I think the upper bound risk is that you're actually introducing um, uh, and replicating a lot of the uh, endemic biases um, that come uh, with any recruiting process and you're amplifying them by codifying basically bad decision making. Um, and so whether that's uh, bias uh, towards um, minority groups, whether it's bias towards certain educational profiles, you can train an AI to be just as um, malevolent or if not actively ill-intentioned um, than just as ignorant as human assessment. And so I think the risk is if you don't have a defined framework for what does uh, psychometric, what does skills base, what is cognitive, and what does behavioral success look like in our environment, um, you will continue to perpetuate and in certain cases amplify those problems. And then ultimately, um, by introducing that to environment, you'll lead to more disengagement in the workforce and uh, less productivity. Wow! Wow, that's a that's that's a pretty daunting um, um, suggestion that one ought to be conservative in their decision making here. Um, um, that's 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 fruit for another whole conversation. We've zipped I think bad data time. in uh, equals bad data out, um, regardless of uh, 
uh, you know, the, the system you're building. And so I think uh, you know, humans have to do their part to clean that up rather than expecting machines to, you know, clean it up for them. This isn't a that's Roomba such, that's picking up dust. It's, uh, it's deciding, it's, you know, hearts and minds and human lives. Yeah, it's such a fertile area of conversation because the question is, if you clean all of the bias out of the data, do you have anything left? It's <laughs> a good question indeed, and definitely fruit for a longer conversation. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So let's do that sometime. Thanks for taking Love the time that. to do this. Would you reintroduce yourself and tell people how they might get a hold of you? Of course, I appreciate it. Um, again, my name is Arthur Matuszewski with Better Mortgage. Uh, feel free to reach out to me on LinkedIn or via Arthur at Better.com. I'm very um, willing to talk shop and trade notes and have learned uh, the most from the folks that have uh, done this for much longer. So appreciate the time, John, and excited to continue the conversations in the future. Okay, thanks. You've been listening to HR Examiner's Executive Conversations. We've been talking with Arthur Matuszewski, who is the head of talent acquisition at Better.com. Thanks for listening in, and we will see you back here next week, same time. Have a great week. Bye-bye. Thanks, John. Bye-bye.